Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play 17. With Sound of Play, as you know, we bring you an eclectic fortnightly compilation of some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the years. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this Sound of Play, it's Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And Carl Moon. Hey guys. And we have just heard from Yoko Shimomura. And the track is called Primal Eyes, requested on the forum at canandrince.com slash forum in the Sound of Play folder by one who is known as Retro Thumbs. He says of this, uh, this piece, I first came across this game when my best mate came back from a family holiday in Boston, USA. It was one of those occasions when your mate calls you up and says, you have to come over and check this game out. It's awesome. He was right, I enjoyed the game a lot, but what captivated me the most was the fabulous soundtrack. The moment I watched that theatre burn down to the track Se il mio amore sta vincino, Eva's aria, I knew I'd never forget this game. A very Carrie-esque film scene. This game alone opened my eyes to what RPGs could be. Primal Eyes, the track we just heard, evokes great nostalgia for me, and so buying an import copy not too long ago was an easy decision. The graphics have aged terribly, so it's a good job that the music is top-notch. Thanks for that retro thumbs. That's exactly the sort of uh, request we love to receive for Sound of Play. It goes into a bit of uh, that person's history and reason for picking the track. is always good. And uh, Parasite Eve, a game I have still, to this day, never played to my shame. It's uh, in my great... uh, It's not even in my backlog. I'm not sure I would play it now, but um, it's one that I feel... For Cox. For sure. I know. It's one that I feel I missed out on. But, uh, you know, well, it could still be covered on the main Cane and Rinse podcast someday. Uh, and then I would play it. So, yeah. Josh, you are back to Sound of Play. And it, almost by public demand, you've brought, <laughs> yeah. you've brought yeah. something from Persona with you. Yeah, it finally happened. Um, so the track I've chosen is from Persona 3 uh, Fez. Uh, specifically, uh, it's called Heartful Cry, and uh, it's composed by Shoji uh, Maguro, who's pretty much established himself as the sound of the Persona series. Um, so this track was introduced um, in Persona 3 Fez as part of the additional epilogue campaign called The Answer, uh, which kind of wraps up a lot of um, loose story ends uh, from the end of the uh, the main campaign uh, called The Journey uh, on the uh, Fez edition of this game. Um, th- this track plays right at the very end of that campaign uh, during the final conflict. And um, because the answer, uh, unlike every other um uh, persona campaign it, it doesn't take the perspective of some nameless protagonist that you stamp your identity on um in this campaign you take control over igus who is the android character in persona 3 who's uh, for anyone who is not familiar with igus she looks kind of reminiscent of um ava from the recent uh, alex garland film ex machina in that she's mainly mechanical but has a very human face and this track has kind of become even though it wasn't intended to be um has kind of become the theme tune for i guess uh for the fan the the persona community and then uh it seems like uh the 
the Atlas have kind of embraced it as her theme tune with later releases, uh, with, with um, the Persona 4 fighting game, uh, Igus's theme tune is this track, a remixed version of this track. Um, yeah, I, I, the, I mean, the main reason why I'm picking it is not because I have any particular attachment to this track in of itself, but I think it kind of best represents everything I really like about the Persona music. Um, it's a great fusion of um, this very uh, unusual uh, Japanese pop music, but also kind of bringing in some Western influences um, as well. Um, and, uh, like, I'm, I'm continually amazed that despite the fact on paper the Persona music should be, like, music that I personally would hate or, or dislike mm. i i end up kind of falling in love with it uh in spite of myself so yeah um this is heartful cry uh i think it best represents everything i like about the persona soundtracks
So, Josh, you really like Persona 3, right? Yeah. yeah it's one of your favourites. Yeah, of any Of any sort of game. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, uh, let's do a bit of consumer advice here because um, I, I think I sort of slightly fell foul of my lack of understanding of this series. Um, so the versions you can buy uh, easily on PSN that you have a choice of either P3P, Persona 3 Portable, or uh, Persona 3 Fez, okay. uh, which is a PS2 classic. So that's uh, uh, generally you can get the PSP game for slightly less, but I'm not sure what their standard prices um, for PSP games are now. They, they're quite variable, whereas Persona 3 Fez, the PS2 game, is uh, generally seven ninety nine when not in a sale. Um, can you briefly and in an entertaining way explain the difference between those two versions of this this game that you adore so much? Okay, right. So you're you're kind of making a compromise whichever version you go for. So with the uh, uh, PS2 version or now PS3 version of Persona Three, uh, Persona Three Fez, you are getting a much better package in terms of presentation. Um, you get to explore all the environments for yourself as a character. You get to control the character throughout the city and, and explore all the different nooks and crannies. And uh, you get these beautiful animated cutscenes at certain points in the plot. But the gameplay is not as uh, well-crafted as Persona 4, which they then introduce those mechanics into P3P. Um, so basically your choice is you either pick the PS3, PS2 version, which is much better presentation-wise, but is slightly awkward on the gameplay side, or you go through uh, go for the PSP version, which is slightly better mechanically, but is a huge downgrade in terms of presentation. Brilliantly explained, uh, but still a tough choice, I might suggest. Yeah. Okay. Right, so from uh, our opening track was from 98, that was from 2008 in Persona 3. Uh, we're now heading back to the 90s again, early 90s this time with Carl. My first choice is a track called Home. Uh, it's by Matt Furness, the composer, uh, from the game Wiz and Liz. Now, Wiz and Liz is a game I always wanted to play more of than I actually did. I didn't have a European Mega Drive, so it was never easy to get a game because... Obviously, European copies didn't necessarily always work on a Japanese Mega Drive. My friend never had it, but it was always on TV, uh, whether it was uh, Games Master or any of the other shows that you would have around at that time. They always seemed to show little clips from Wiz and Liz, and I always loved the look of it. And in our local independent game store, uh, they often had it on their screen that you could play. So I'd pick it up and I'd never got more than five minutes in because, you you know, you, you tend to feel a bit guilty when you sort of stood there playing the one demo unit they've got. So the only real track that I ever got to listen to was Home. And it's just a wonderfully happy little track that I've always loved. And it's it's the one that I associate with this game. I've, I've got the entire soundtrack. And the whole thing is really quite a nice, jovial, jolly uh, score. But... For me, it's obviously it's quite a personal choice for me to choose home because it's one of the few games from then that I never really got the chance to sort of really get into. And when you go back to it now, it doesn't have that same quality of control. So I don't think it's a game I'm ever going to play again. Uh, so for me, the, the Wizard List does become all about the score. And of course, it was a game by Psygnosis, or published by Psygnosis, who sort of, they were the hallmark for quality back then, um, or at least 
a certain element of quality because Shadow of the Beast was ridiculously difficult, mm. but it was wonderful looking. You know, you had Lemmings, which was wonderfully designed. You had Leander, which was, a, a, again, a really nice game to both play and look at. So whenever there was a Signosis title out, it was always the title that I was drawn to. Um, it, it, you know, it was almost, it was sort of really early retro fanboyism, if you like. Uh, it was the, like the equivalent of the Nintendo seal of quality. Uh, so yeah, Wiz, Wiz and Liz has always been that that game that's just been out of reach for me, um, and I think it's always going to be remain that way. But for Scott, it's really nice, and I've always loved it, and I've wanted to put it on this show for a while. So here it is, Home by Matt Furness from Wiz and Liz. associate Matt Furness mainly with his works for Chrysalis, games like uh, the Manchester United games on the Amiga, um, and Soccer Kid as well is a game I have fond fond memories of. Um, Yeah, uh, and Wiz and Liz, I only ever played a demo of it myself. Um, I know it's it's a game that um, our uh, sometime guest on on the main podcast, Kane and Rince, uh, Dan Clark, uh, talks very highly of. Yeah. Um, But yes, I also didn't 
ever get beyond that opening stage because I think that's what they gave away on the cover of a, a magazine. So, yeah, another one missing. Oh, dear, from my personal library. Uh, one that isn't missing, uh, one that I've played a lot, although I'm not especially good at it. Um, it's a series that I love. This was the uh, the most recent entry, other than Gradius Rebirth, uh, Gradius Five, to celebrate its uh, reemergence on as a download a PS2 classic again on PSN. Um, recently uh, became available. This was Treasure and G Rev's um, version or sequel to the the legendary Gradius or Nemesis series uh, came out first over 10 years ago in 2004. Uh, The track I want to share um, is actually originally by one of those, uh, we've mentioned them a lot, one of the amazing female composers that Japanese, uh, particularly arcade studios, used to seem to have a lot of back in the 80s, Miki Higashino. Uh, and the track is originally called Poison of Snake from uh, from the game arcade game Salamander, which some of you will know better as Life Force because it got um, it got slightly altered and changed for the uh, for the home version, given a, uh, the classic Gradius uh, weapon up system. Whereas the original Salamander, you could just fly over collectibles and pick them up, and uh, that's something that I actually really liked about it. But uh, but Life Force is cool in its own regard. It's got this whole kind of inner inner space. Um, you know, flying through uh, a grotesque innards kind of thing going on, whereas Salamander is more classically uh, outer space. Um, this is the tune that you first hear when you fight bosses uh, in in the original Salamander. Um, but here in Gradius Five, Hitoshi Sakamoto uh, ramped it up as you'd expect, having a CD medium and a lot of synthesizers. It's got horns, it's got madly flanging synthesizer, and it's absolutely epic. It really brings home the dread of a of a shoot 'em up bullet hell boss coming your way. Um, this is just a couple of loops of it, basically, but uh, but yeah, it gets me going every time. Named as Tito Ran or Tato Ran or 
something like that. Anyway, Teto ran for a Gradius 5, and that's a game I cannot recommend strongly enough that if you have a PS3 or if you still have a PS2 and you've ever enjoyed any sort of uh, side-scrolling shoot-em-up, Gradius 5, uh, you need to try it. Um, it's a shame that it hasn't been afforded a, I think, much deserved sort of HD re-release with online leaderboards and up-res graphics and all that sort of thing. Don't know whether that'll happen. Maybe they were testing the water with the uh, with that PSN re-release, but that would make that would make this old man particularly happy. Now back to some eight-bit times with uh, with uh, I believe a new uh, a new contributor, Papa Pichu. Don't remember saying that before. And he it's won- the kind of name you'd remember saying as well. Yeah, because it sounds like I just sneezed, which I do feel like <laughs> I want to. I still remember early Sunday mornings in the late 80s, says Papa Pichu. Sneaking up in pyjamas featuring the short-fused duck sporting a pantsless sailor outfit in hope of getting an hour or two in front of our Commodore 64 and 14-inch TV before the rest of the house woke up. Flipping through a handwritten binder full of game titles and numbers was preparation for the sacred ritual of rewind, reset, fast forward, and the iconic words still etched in my memories in bright blue. Press play on tape. I've selected a song from The Last Ninja 3, which I've not played myself. However, I spent a ridiculous amount of hours playing its predecessor. The game was released on the C64 in 1991 with music by Dutch composer Rain Overhand. I'm going to guess that. Uh, apologies to any Dutch listeners who would have been around 16 or 17 at the time. Uh, the song I picked is Tune 6 or Water Level, which features an incredibly rich and groovy sound packed into three into the three sound channels the SID chip provided. Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, Rain, I think, is known as or part of Maniacs of Noise, anyway, who are famous uh, Commodore 64 SID chip musicians. Mm. Um, we featured some excellent SID chip stuff before. And uh, yeah, here's something from late in the 64's life uh, Water Level or Track 6, Tune 6, whatever you like. Thank you. 
cool. That features that um, that that used to be absolutely uh, mandatory in any game that was set anywhere in the Far East uh, back in the 80s and 90s. It, it was it was the sign that your game was set in China or Japan or Hong Kong or possibly even Korea. If it had... I'm not sure where that actually comes from originally, but um, but it's in there. Uh, Almost certainly not Asia. Uh, probably <laughs> not, no. It's probably yeah. some soundtrack to some Hollywood movie, isn't it, that's set in... Or, or, or like um, Hong Kong Fui or, or something or Fu like Manchu. That. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, maybe we'll never know. I must. Yeah. If anyone knows where that 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 famous, uh, possibly fake East Asian riff comes from, do let me know. It's uh, fairly ubiquitous in video games in the uh, in the eighties, especially. Now uh, we featured uh, music from this game before, and we probably will again, but not this particular pick. Josh, over to you. Right, so as you mentioned, we've already covered uh, Fez on uh, Sound of Play, um, but there's this uh, remix album called FZ, uh, which is a collaboration uh, of various artists. Um, Jim Guffrey, in fact, who uh, who's famous for the Sword and Sorcery uh, soundtrack, is included in this album. And it's basically just uh, a collection of artists uh, taking... Disaster pieces work in uh, in Fez and kind of remixing it and and giving it their own uh, their own identity and uh, their own uh, unique flair. Um, a standout track for me um, is Clockmaster, which uh, is a remix of both Sync and Majesty from the original Fez soundtrack, uh, and this was uh, remixed by Coda. Um, this this track is wonderfully reminiscent of 80s music um fez is already kind of channeling that kind of uh, like that kind of 80s synth music it's i mean it's the reason why disaster piece were picked to do the soundtrack for um it follows which is a very uh john carpenter-esque horror movie um, but this kind of ramps that kind of feeling up to 11 for me. Um, and it, it just takes these two tracks, which I think work beautifully within the game itself, but are maybe not so great to listen to on their own, combines them and then turns them into something that you can listen to on your own while you're doing the dishes or what have you. And I find it really oddly kind of inspirational, this track. Um, it mm. really helps me. It motivates me when I'm running or or doing any kind of activity like that. Um, yeah, uh, it's a bit of a long, long track, but I think it's worth it because I, I, I think every... Every second of it is really, really well-crafted. Yeah, so this is Clockmaster uh, by Coda.
I'm actually quite relieved. Somebody picked a long track, so we got quite a lot of short ones. So that's fine that we just enjoyed all five and a half minutes of that. And uh, we enjoyed all of the game fez for Kane and Rinse podcast issue 86. Uh, some of the gang have actually completed that game and beyond without spoilers. Um, there's a lot to discover in that uh, that possibly one-off game uh, in many ways. Josh, something interests me about you. And yeah. uh, I've noticed an inconsistency in your in your accent. Oh, right. Okay. And, uh, I don't want you to, I don't want to make you self-conscious <laughs> about this because it, it's actually quite endearing. But I noticed this when we were recording um, a, a recent uh, Kane and Rince podcast. You uh, sometimes you use the, the posh southern way of saying words like, uh, you know, the famous ones are, are bath and grass. I say bath and grass. Carl says bath and grass. Right. Yeah. You said you when you, the other day you were talking about uh, gasp, but then you say gasping. So you seem to do both. You you do both in some in, with some words. Yeah, you've got you've got the southern way and northern way. Is that because you're from the middle of the country, and or, or because you've got a confused identity? Well, I'm. I, I was originally born in uh, Hertfordshire. So right. But then we've kind of moved around a lot. And then actually, when I was very young. Um, so between the ages of, uh, two and four, um, we, uh, our family moved to the U S so I, uh, we lived in the U S for a little oh, while okay. and I did develop a bit of an American accent while mm. I was there. Mm. And then, so maybe that's kind of contributed to my, uh, kind of confused, uh, <laughs> British accent where it's oh, all over the place. Yeah, it does sound, um, it, yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. It's interesting. I like it. Gasp. Say, uh, I I took a gasp. I was gasping. You see, that's 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 interesting. I like it. Anyway, not sure if you'll keep that in, Jay, but I, I needed to talk to Josh about it. <laughs> now, back on topic. Uh, we've already heard from one Japanese uh, side-scrolling shooter, but you can never have too many of those in a sound of play. So, Carl. Yes, uh, this is one I've wanted to put on for a long time, but I had to find the right window. Uh, it, it's a great, I suppose technically you can class it as a retro game now, uh, given it's almost 20 years old, uh, released in 1997. Um, it's Einhander from the PlayStation. Uh, it's the the first sort of polygonal bullet hell sort of game that I can sort of remember. Uh, it was very visually appealing, and it's not normally my genre, but I was drawn to it um, as a bit of a 3D sort of graphics fiend as it was back then because obviously got the, the turn of PlayStation, everything started to change. And it was something I just I rented it, um, and I'm not sure why, <laughs> really, because, again, it's not my genre, but it had a really catching front cover. And I guess I was just easily led. And it turned out to be one of the most wonderful sounding experiences I can remember. Uh, it, it's a sort of really unique soundtrack. Um, it's by uh, Kenoshiro Fukui uh, on behalf of Square. And he has a very, it, it has that sort of standard Square sound in there somewhere. And this track in particular is called Thermosphere. And it's, to use a real cliche when talking about a song, it does go on a journey. It has so many different styles throughout this track. And that sums up so many of the levels in the hand of the game. It's so refreshing. And it's something that I can pick up and play now 
which is something that I can't really say for a lot of PlayStation 1 titles. Um, There's not a whole lot to say about this game that can't be told throughout its own soundtrack. And for me, it's one of the absolute killer soundtracks of its era. Uh, It's Einhander on the PlayStation. things about uh, Einhander or Einhender as I believe it should be um, it never came out over here in, in Europe did it um, no it's uh, in a way it's sort of a mercy because you know that back then it wouldn't have been 
optimized properly, it wouldn't have had a 60 hertz option. So I, I imported a US copy of this, um, and you can you can get it uh, for download on the US PSN store if you do a bit of jiggery-pokery, so it is possible to play. Another interesting, fascinating thing, really, about Square making Einhander is they never made a shoot-em-up before, and they, they'd never made a side-scrolling blaster uh, an action game of this ilk before you know they, they dabbled in other yeah. genres from time to time they did uh air guides the um the, the sort of broader and things like that but to to just go all oh, right well we're gonna make a shoot em up now and then to knock it out the park with this you know classic of the genre um was was pretty bold and pretty extraordinary um and it's another game that yeah i wish would you know, obviously, its PS1 visuals have aged yeah. somewhat, but it's another game that I think you know it would absolutely you know the, the shoot 'em up genre is still is still there. The people who who like playing side, side scrolling and top down scrolling, vertically scrolling shoot 'em ups still want to play them. Uh, and this is a game that if they again if they up resed and properly gave it a proper re release, I would be on it as I'm sure with oh, many absolutely. others. Absolutely, um, um, and it, yeah. it's really interesting as well because obviously Square were going through a bit of a you know, like you said, they were, they were doing games that they wouldn't normally do. Obviously, mm. the, the Final Fantasy VII was of that period, but they also did Parasite Eve, which we heard from earlier, which allowed free motion in combat. Um, they also did Tabal Number no. 1, of course, which yeah. had a really uh, interesting sort of combat mechanic and, and tournament sort of mode in it. And then, obviously, we had Einhander as well. So for a company that, that are now... Uh, quite famously said that Tomb Raider failed because it didn't sell as many units as expected when it sold over three million in its you mm. know near release to a company that that you know back in the the mid to late nineties were creating some really unique looking uh, and obviously certainly experimenting with three D games. Um, Einhander sort of came out of nowhere and was a really really good effort for a for a first effort at the, at the sort of the that that schmuck bullet hell genre. And uh, Kenichiro Fuku is uh, an interesting one. Um, it hasn't uh, composed a new track, as far as I know, since uh, 2010. Um, but he actually started, funnily enough, with Konami, um, who you know we we featured uh, Gradius earlier. And uh, his first game was doing the sound effects, but not the music for. Uh, side-scrolling neon-coloured cowboy romp sunset riders which uh, a lot of people <laughs> remember very fondly yeah uh, and he also did the the music for lethal enforcers the um the sort of digitized graphics light gun game um yeah not so well remembered no not not generally but um yeah a, an amazing sort of gothic house yeah uh soundtrack check it out yeah it's so many different sort of musical genres mm. blended in that you know it, it, it's yeah, it's very unique garage, electronica, you know. All sorts in there. Fantastic. Or in the kitchen sink, yeah. And yeah, a sadly, un, yeah, not available enough game. Uh, now, this also has its roots in the Japanese arcade, uh, but this. Uh, this for, well, this tune actually doesn't exist in the original coin-op. So the game is Ghouls and Ghosts, um, the notoriously hard uh, but terrifically beautiful sprite art, uh, pixel art, sorry, and, and atmospherics. Um, and the original soundtrack uh, by Tamayo Kawamoto, um, a featured piece from before, and uh, it, it's an amazing um, early arcade soundtrack. And... Um, as with the Gradius tune, like there, there are lots of different versions of of the tunes from that game, as they've come through different, you know, arranged versions for re-releases and special albums and all that sort of thing that they do in Japan. But this 
particular track is from uh, the legendary Tim Follin, who we featured also on Sound of Play many times. And this was uh, specifically for the sort of uh, title sequence or attract mode of the Amiga conversion of Ghouls and Ghosts. Um, software creations were a reasonable, a reasonably safe pair of hands in the conversion market. But actually, if you played... If you played Amiga Ghouls and Ghosts up against, say, Sega's conversion for the Mega Drive, uh, you would be sorely disappointed. This was, you know, coming the time, the late 80s, when the Mega Drive was starting to show what uh, arcade conversions could be. You know, some magazines were mistakenly reporting them as, you know, arcade perfect and whatever, which actually, if you run, say, Golden Axe side by side, you can see there's a lot of uh, graphics and sound compromises and things missing. But, But they were... They were closer. They were getting closer. And, and Amiga Ghouls and Ghosts was not the best port in the world. But this track, oh my goodness, Tim Follin um, just absolutely letting rip with the most insane electric prog folk rock. Um, again, as as Carl talked about with the Einhander piece, sort of touching upon multiple different atmospheres and tempos as, as the piece goes on. Um, I'm not sure that it actually quite says ghouls and ghosts to me uh, like the original <laughs> soundtrack does but as a piece of video game music from this era in its own right it still blows me away
Tim Follin there with, I guess we'll call it main theme. I don't know. They didn't have names in those days. Uh, which brings us again, once again, so rapidly to our ninth piece. And uh, it's a short one, but it's something a bit different, and it's from a very new game. Uh, Pope Ramon, the missing uh, Ramon, uh, requests something from Splatoon. Brand new. He says, I'm going to be super quick off the mark and suggest something from Splatoon. Reasoning behind choosing the waiting room music is I think if uh, I think it's the first use of dub or ska music in a video game, if not ever, then at least for a very long time. Uh, it's definitely not ever. There, there's There's been quite a bit of uh, dub and ska over the years. I'm struggling to actually think of uh, good specific examples, but um, it's an unusual genre in a video game. I'll grant you that. And, uh, yeah, I've heard some of the Splatoon. I don't have Splatoon yet. Um, I'm not sure if, if I'm going to. I'm going to wait and see how much it sticks, if you'll pardon the pun. Yeah. Um, People seem to be having an awful lot of fun with it, as you probably expect. Uh, and the soundtrack here is uh, this particular piece is by Toru Minigishi, who uh, is yeah one of Nintendo's in-house stalwarts, who's written for uh, all sorts of things, including Pokemon Stadium, and uh, contributed to uh, Animal Crossing sound effects for Super Mario Sunshine, which. Uh, Again, there's this interesting uh, link between uh, Splatoon and Super Mario Sunshine that some people are suggesting, which is quite cool. Um, And yeah, so uh, this is an enjoyable and laid-back way to play out. Um, Before we do go, we must remind you that, as you've heard once again, it's not just about what we like. Uh, So please do continue to venture over to the forum at canerince.com where you can request your favourites or other oddities, anything you'd like to share from video games that's not a a straight licensed track from from an artist's repertoire or whatever. And we'll continue to include a selection of those in the playlist for each and every sound of play. So before we hear from uh, Toru Minigishi's waiting room, just remains for me, Leon, to thank Josh and Carl. Thank you. 